This morning we are going to be turning to the book of Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open there, Nehemiah chapter 6. If you're new or visiting the broadcast today, I want to welcome you. I'm Pastor Garrett here at Cross Connection Church. Um, it's been such a pleasure to be serving here. Um, pro- predominantly, I serve as the high school pastor and oversee junior high and all the events of the summer. So I do want to apologize right at the front here. My voice is a little bit raspy because I've been um, yelling with a bunch of kids. Um, we took about 30 kids to Catalina Island um, for summer camp, and it was such a blessed time, and uh, a lot of the kids had just an awesome experience. So. While you guys are turning to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, where we've been the last couple weeks here at Cross Connection Church, Nehemiah, just as a brief overview for those that might be joining us, tuning in for the first time in this series, Nehemiah records for us um, the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem, which is Judah's capital city. Um, Together, he and Ezra, they lead the people in a spiritual and even a direct, a political and religious restoration of the Jewish people after Babylonian captivity. So... It was under Nehemiah's leadership um, that the Jews withstood great opposition and were able to come together, really, to accomplish a great work. Nehemiah is known for leading by example. Um, He gave up a respected position with a secular government, um, but in a palace, um, serving like right next to the king. He was the cupbearer for the king, one of the greatest kings, uh, at least most powerful kings of his time. And giving up that position there and that comfort there to... Um, in exchange really for hard labor um, in a politically insignificant region. So that was what Nehemiah did. Um, Nehemiah was driven to do this great work. He made this decision because it was the will of God ultimately. Um, And the physical reconstruction of the wall made it possible for the remnant of Jews to survive. Um, So at this time, after Babylonian captivity, there was really just a small remnant of Jews left. Um, This was again about um, 500 years or so before the time of Christ. So this was, it was important that the Jews would survive because our Savior was born of Jewish parents, um, as prophesied by the scriptures. So doing this great work for God, it always comes with opposition, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that in the message today. And the devil's hard at work against the work of the church today. Um, you might be seeing that in the turmoil that we see around the world. Um, everything seems like it is in chaos, disorder. There seems to be even disorder within the church. Um, and division and the devil is again the father of lies he loves to um, masquerade as a as an angel of light but really he's the angel of darkness and we're going to be looking today how we can learn discernment that overcomes temptation by by the story in nehemiah chapter six so now that you hopefully turned there nehemiah chapter six let's go ahead and read verses one through 14 it should also be on your screen it says when sanballat tobiah geshem the arab and the rest of our enemies heard I had rebuilt the wall, and that no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors or the city gates. Sambal and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in in the villages of the Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing an important work, and I cannot come down. Why should I leave this work? Why should this work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me this same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. Sanballat sent me this message um, a fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter in his hand, and in it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason that you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king, and even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, There is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king, so come, let's confer together. Then I replied to him, 
There is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to imitate us, intimidate us. Um, they will drop their hands from their work, and it will never be finished. But now, God, strengthen my hands. I went to the house of Shemai, son of Delia, son of Mehedabel, who was restricted to his house. And he said, Let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. But I said, Should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because the prophecy he had spoken against me. Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated, uh, do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat for what they have done, and also the prophetess, Nodiah, and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. Let's bow our heads in a moment of prayer as we jump into this morning's message. Father, we do pray, especially as Psalm 25, verse 4 says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and for you I will wait all the day long. Father, may you teach us to resist the schemes of the devil. May we daily put on the entire, the whole armor of God, learning from Nehemiah how we can have and even build discernment that overcomes temptation. Father, for all of those listening, um, whether they um, are here local in Escondido County or around the world tuning in to this broadcast, I pray that you would bless and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them, Lord, and Father, would you give them your peace as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The, there was a great battle that was fought in the Judean wilderness. Um, this was in the time of Jesus. In fact, it was before he began his public ministry, this great battle, battle was fought, and it was a battle between Jesus and ultimately the, the devil, um, who for 40 days took Jesus out into the wilderness and tempted him. And this wasn't a battle for necessarily physical territory, but the territory of our hearts. And Satan not only tempted him for 40 days, but the temptations were three. Um, one was for food, one was for glory, and one was for obedience. But Satan was really tempting Jesus to get his position. What do I mean by that? Satan has always desired worship. Satan has always desired the position of God because he believes that he could be that. Um, he wants the same position, the same authority, the same power, the same worship that God gets and receives. And today, I, would, I believe personally that the devil is after our position. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, and you know that Christ died on the cross for your sins in your place, that you could now have a renewed relationship with God, that you've been reborn into the family of God, received the Holy Spirit into your, into your heart, the devil is after your position. You are a son or a daughter of God now, and he is after your position. He wants to distract you from the work that God has now given you. You see, though, the devil came when Jesus was most vulnerable. Have any of you ever fasted for 40 days? I didn't think so. Um, I personally have not fasted for 40 days, especially in a desert. Um, I have been to Israel and specifically to this Judean wilderness um, and seen just, it's, it's a desert. It's kind of like our, our desert out here in California, Akatia Wells. Um, you could imagine something like that. It's a desolate desert. Jesus was out there being tempted for 40 days, um, the sun beating down on him. And what I want to bring out of that is that the devil always finds us when we are most vulnerable. You see, Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. 
Jesus uh, was alone. He didn't have companions with him there. The devil always comes after us when we're most vulnerable. Satan tempted Jesus after he was baptized, right? He was baptized and the Spirit of God descended from heaven with the, the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And yet it was after that, so Jesus was already affirmed in his ministry, but he had not began his public ministry yet. And I believe that that's where the devil always wants to try to trip us up, to distract us from the real work that God has for me and for you, to use the gifts, the talents, the abilities that he's given us for the kingdom of God, for the church, um, in the church really, that we can be the hands and feet of God in this world, um, reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So the devil's trying to distract us from that. So now as we come back to Nehemiah, where we find Nehemiah is here. He's a man who worked um, in a secular government job faithfully, who heard about the state of Jerusalem, and like Jesus, he cared about God's people. He heard that the state of, of Jerusalem was that the walls were torn down and that the Jews were not worshiping in the temple because they weren't safe there. So the worship of God had ceased, and the, um, the, the walls around Jerusalem were demolished, and so there was no protection there for people, the people to come and safely worship God or even reestablish the traditions that God had, had set before them and the law that God had set before them in the Torah. This is where we find Nehemiah. He cared so much about God's people that he left his comfort to go and serve the Lord in this place, rebuilding the walls. Um, and to rebuild these walls, they were massive walls um, around a city that these, these walls have been torn down over 150 years prior to Nehemiah arriving. So just consider, consider that for a minute. Um, Nehemiah, he sets out to do this great work that God called him to do in restoring Jerusalem. And he's met by military opposition from the Samaritans, and um, from, which is from outside the wall, so exterior opposition. And then he's also met with interior opposition, with turmoil within um, Jerusalem, within the walls of, of Jerusalem, within the people of Jerusalem. Um, and he's able to um, save the people from the enemies outside and save the people from themselves, um, from the own civil unrest that they experienced, um, from the own injustice that they were treating each other with, um, which we talked a little bit about last week. Um, and now we come to an even greater scheme. Now the devil's trying to um, get specifically at Nehemiah with the temptation or the distraction through enticement. So let's go ahead and read again verse 1. It says, when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the Arab, um, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, so at this point the wall is complete, but he had not installed the doors and he had not installed the gates yet. So there was still openings in the wall. Um, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in the, vi in the village of, on of the Ono Valley. And they were planning to do me harm. You see, these three political enemies um, knew that the walls were built these great walls around Jerusalem, there was no gaps in the wall other than the gates and the doors, um, which meant that there was no longer the option for an exterior, uh, you know, external army to really challenge Jerusalem at this point because the strength of the walls would hold up against that. There was not big enough gaps in order for them to, to get in. Um, so that means that these, these other governors, um, the Samaritan governors, they knew that military, a military attack directly wouldn't work. So they tried to go after Nehemiah Specifically, um, they try to target the leader. Um, Sanballat and Geshem, they schemed to slow them down, to slow Nehemiah down before he could finish the work that God had called him to do. The devil does the same thing with us. The devil schemes today to slow us down uh, by distracting us so that the work that God began in you and began in me doesn't get finished. So what does he respond with? 
um, well, ultimately what these men are calling Nehemiah to do is, hey, leave the place God has called you, leave the place that God has planted you and sent you and come meet us in the Valley of Ono. <laughs> the devil always tries to do that and he tries to entice us out of doing the will of God um, in order to distract us from accomplishing the, the will of God. The Valley of Ono was about, um, for your reference, about 30 miles from Jerusalem. Um, and of course, that being outside the protection of the walls that had just recently been built in Jerusalem. Um, so that would have been meaning, that would have meant Nehemiah left the protection of the walls that they had just established and just built and gone to a valley 30 miles away, which would have taken time, um, away from his great work that he was doing, um, to meet these three leaders um, who just wanted to do him harm, right? It was actually really a great place for a political assassination attempt, really. Um, even though the Valley of Ono was supposedly politically neutral at the time. These evil men were trying to tempt him. The devil's desire for you, and this is point number one this morning, um, the devil's desire is for us to leave the will of God. Right? The devil's desire is for us to leave the will of God. Right now, the devil is either scheming to keep you from God and his purposes. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you're tuning in today and you're praying and you've been thinking, gosh, I haven't been to church, but with what I see going on in the world, with the chaos in my own life, in my family's life, uh, maybe you've lost loved ones recently. Um, you're thinking, what, is there a God that still loves me? Is there a God that cares? Is there a God that has a plan and a purpose for my life? You see, the devil is either scheming to keep you from God and his great purpose for your life, or he's scheming up ways in which to trip you up as a Christian. He's scheming for ways to, to halt your growth into spiritual maturity, right? He's scheming for ways to halt the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives who transforms our character to match our calling. You see, the meeting requested by Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobias was um, essentially a meeting of, I would say, equals, meaning that they were all governors, right? They all were, had that position of leadership um, for their city. And Nehemiah knew that the walls of Jerusalem were complete. He knew that they were equals. Um, and why would this be so enticing to Nehemiah to come meet with them? Um, well, I think it certainly could have been. And here's a couple of reasons why. Um, first would be, um, well, he could have thought, well, gosh, this is my great opportunity to sit down with important people. It's my great opportunity to sit down with those important people that I've been looking, that, that have been leaders for a long time. And if I could sit down with them, if other people saw me sitting down with them, whoa, man, that would just make me feel really good. Okay, let's bring that maybe to a, a, a current context now. What would be the enticement to meet with these three people? Well, gosh, they have a ton of followers. Have you seen the followers they have on Instagram or Twitter? They have a ton of followers. Their following is insane. People love their influence. And man, if they invited me to go meet with them, oh my goodness, like, how could I ever say no? Or... Wow, you know, now is the chance for me to get into the camp that I've been idolizing. You see, what if Nehemiah was so insecure in himself that he fell for this enticing offer? You see, there's a great danger when we are not secure in who we are in Christ that it becomes easy for us to get sidetracked. The same is true when we're emotionally unhealthy. You know, we uh, begin to easily fall for these enticing offers of friendship that are really ultimately meant to lead to our ruin. You see, God really does care about that kind of stuff. 
Now let's read how Nehemiah answers this enticing offer that was given to him. So four times they sent this enticing offer, right? These letters were sent to him four times requesting that he would come down to the Valley of Ono, 30 miles outside of Jerusalem. And four times Nehemiah said, So I sent the messenger saying, I am doing an important work and cannot come down. I'm doing an important work and I cannot come down. You see, the devil's goal is to drag us down, right? It's to drag us down because I believe that the will of God, if it's up here, he tries to drag us down outside of that will of God, right? To get us sidetracked onto doing something else, to doing our own thing, to doing something that we may feel important, that make us feel important. But God's saying, I've given you a job and a task that's greater than anything else you could ever do. I've established my kingdom in this, in this world and I've given you, Christians, you, a job. I've given you gifts and talents and abilities and spiritual gifts in order to, to serve the body of Christ, in order to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, four times Nehemiah was tempted with the same proposal. Four times he gave them the same reply. I believe that Nehemiah knew the great truth of the psalmist. Psalm 1.1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who we hang out with does matter. Who we spend time with matters. Who we identify with matters. Point number two, something that we need to remember as Christians, and I'm speaking to the Christians in our audience right now, point number two is I am doing a great work for the Lord. Wherever you're at, whoever you're sitting with, I want you to turn to them. Or if you're just by yourself, you can go ahead and talk to me on the screen. Just say, I am doing, out loud, I am doing a great work for the Lord, and I cannot come down. You see, that's the proper response to the, the, the constant temptations that come to us, that the devil wants to throw at us, especially when they're the same. Because oftentimes the devil will use the same exact temptation to try to lure us outside of the will of God and to drag us down. And we need to be the kind of people that can say, I'm doing a great work for the Lord. But we need to remember that God has called us to an incredible work. He's given us an incredible purpose. There is no greater task, no greater mission in life than being a Christian. But we've all felt the, the devil's tempting come, right? We've all felt that tempting, tempting come in our lives, right? Whether it's come and look at these pictures on my phone or come and... Um, you know you're supposed to be faithful to your wife, but you feel that come. You know you're supposed to be faithful to your husband, but you feel that, hey, come over here and I'll show you a better time. I'll make you feel more loved. You know that you're supposed to be at your job, but you feel a come, uh, maybe that's uh, anywhere else. You know you're not supposed to go to that party and drink, but you feel that come, right? That invitation is tempting, it's enticing. Many of us, we've been damaged and broken in the Valley of Ono. Because ultimately we sin because we want to, because it's enticing, right? Sin promises great things, leaves us empty, leaves us uh, famished, leaves us in a desert. It leaves us in the valley where we say, oh no, if I might use the pun. In fact, my daughter, anytime that she, you know, she's two years old, so anytime she drops something or something happens, she'll say, oh no. So I just thought that was kind of funny. I think that when the devil drags us down to the valley outside of the will of God, we always end up looking back after being marred by and just damaged by the sin that we've, you know, that we've done in our lives. And we look back and we say, oh no, what have I done? 
But thank God our God is a God of second chances. Four times, Sanballat and Tobiah sent the same request. Four times, Nehemiah responded the same. His response was one of truth, right? He didn't call them out for their treachery, but he answered with true, uh, with a real, a real true reason why he could not go. He said, I have a great work to do, and I cannot come down. When the devil tempts you with the same temptation over and over and over again, resist it with the same reason and resolution over and over and over again. Point number three on your outline, and this is another way that we can help resist, that can help us resist the temptations of the devils, a scheme of the devils. Point number three is this, a, a focused heart and clear priorities shield us against the schemes of the devil. I'll say it again, a focused heart and clear priorities shield us against the schemes of the devil. Nehemiah is a great example of this, and even uh, Paul is a good example of this. He, he, Paul actually tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In, in Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You guys, the real enemy of man isn't necessarily man. It's not, our, our enemy is the, is the devil. The original sin was not Adam and Eve. It was the devil who desired to be worshipped himself, who then came and tempted us that we fell into sin. But I tell you this today. A person who is focused on what God said, right? Focused on what God said, focused on what God's will is, and focused on the great work that God has given us, will be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. A person who's focused on what God said. Nehemiah was focused on what God said. We're going to see this again later on in this same passage, actually. Nehemiah was focused on what God said. He knew the scriptures. Do you know the scriptures today? Do you spend time, valuable time, in the scriptures? He also knew what God's will was. How do we know what God's will is? Well, we have to read his word, and we have to pray. Nehemiah is a great example of both of these things and he was able to withstand these schemes of the devil and remain righteous. You see, when a person has clear priorities, they are most shielded against enticement. Jesus had clear priorities and clear focus. He said in John chapter 6, verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus had clear priorities and clear focus, and that drove him all the way to the cross, and he did not sin once. Nehemiah had clear priorities and clear focus. He had this burden from God to finish the building of the wall and to see the heart of worship restored in Jerusalem. Right? He wanted to see a spiritual revival in his city, amongst his people. I want to see a spiritual revival in my city, amongst my people. I believe our country, our cities, are spiritually sick. They need the Word of God. They need the freedom that God can bring. They need the Holy Spirit to come in, enter into their lives, and turn their lives around, transforming them from the inside out so that way we can see a restoration in our country, in our cities. Only God can do this kind of work. It is not something we can force or legislate. It is something that God must do in our hearts. Are your priorities clear? Are your priorities clear? And what do I mean by that? I mean, do you put God first? Do you put your spouse second if you're married? Do you put your children third if you have children? Do you put your job and your ministry fourth? You see, because as soon as we 
reorganize those in the way that we might seem most fit because a lot of us, well, the temptation can be, um, well, first of all, to take God off the top, right? That's what idols are in our lives. Anything that takes more time, more of our time and our talent and our treasure than God, anything that we want more than God, it's easy to take God off the top, but then it's easy to take our spouse off the top. And maybe we love our kids more. You see, my wife is, much, is a much higher priority than my kids. My kids are incredibly important to me. And you have to fight to keep these priorities in line. You have to fight, Christian, to keep these priorities in line. God, your spouse, your children, and then your ministry and your job. You see, I think one of the great reasons that we've seen so many pastors fail in ministry is because we get those upside down. And we might say, okay, God's number one, but then ministry and job is second, and then spouse and family next. And anytime we get these priorities out of order, it's very easy for us to fall for the enticing offers and schemes of the devil, drawing us away from the great work which God has called us to do. When our priorities are clear, though, here's what's great about this. When our, our priorities are clear, all of our decisions are pre-made for us. So some of us, like me, have a really hard time making decisions. When your priorities are clear, when you're focused on the will of God, when you pray to him regularly and you know his scriptures, all of your decisions are pre-made. It becomes very easy to say no to the enticement of the devil. It becomes very easy to say no to the offers that we might get from our friends to drag us away from the will of God and, and to that party or to, from that, um, that guy at your work or that gal at your work that wants to draw you away from your spouse. It becomes very easy to say no to those things because God's called us to do one thing, and if I do this other thing, then I can't accomplish the thing that God has called me to do, and I can't complete the great work that he's called me to do. This is so important that we get this. When we're focused on the word of God, he establishes clear convictions in our hearts. When our convictions are clear and our priorities are in order, it becomes easy to say no to the schemes of the devil, trying to take us away from the good work that God is doing. So the second scheme that they try with Nehemiah was blackmail through defamation. Now, I will say this about defamation. It hurts. Some of you, many of you probably, have been defamed before. There's been false accusations. There's been um, defamation hurts. Why? Because it attacks our character, right? It attacks who we are. Sandballot sent me this message a fifth time by his aide, and it ha he had in his hand this open letter. It was the same letter, but this time it was open. And we're going to get to this in just a second. The devil loves partnering with others to get us into rebellion. You see, this time Sam Ballot specifically sent his aide, somebody else. He's partnering with somebody else. He loves partnering with other people in order to, to get us to step away from the work of God. In fact, the devil even partnered with Peter, the Apostle Peter, yes. You might recall when Christ is ready to, you know, on his way to the cross, very near to his crucifixion. Peter comes up to, to Christ and tries to convince him that there is no way, Jesus, that you can die. You can't go to the cross, Jesus. And what did Jesus reply to him? Get away from me, Satan. You see, the devil works even in our insecurities to draw us away from the will of God. And he's willing to partner with anybody to keep us from the will of God. Now, Nehemiah is being defamed, 
and the devil's attacking his witness and his character, and your witness and your character are two of the most important things that you have. As soon as the devil makes your witness, um, your credibility, um, as, as soon as the devil takes away your witness, your credibility crumbles. So what I say to you right now is guard your witness. Guard your witness. Be the same man, be the same woman that you are and in church that you are at home and vice versa. Be the same man that you are at work that you are at church. Be the same woman that you are at work as you are at church. This is why I, I try to avoid at, at all costs commenting on social media. <laughs> the comment section is the devil. I mean, I'm not, I'm being facetious here, but be careful what you post online because that can hurt and damage your credibility. But there's times to talk and there's times to be silent. So this letter that was open, remember uh, this letter that was open, it read this and it said, it is reported amongst the nations um, and Geshem agrees that you guys are planning to rebel. And here's the, and here's the kind of the curveball. This messenger was sent with an open letter. You see, back in, in these days, in uh, around 450 BC, when letters were sent, they were sealed with a wax seal of the sender. And what that wax seal did was it said this letter's authentic. It said that that person that's receiving that, whether the, the, the receiver of that letter is worthy to open it, right? This time there was no seal on the letter. This time it was an open letter. You see, an open letter in these times was akin to gossip because every town that that messenger had to go through, the letter would be open so people would read it and they would see, oh, Nehemiah is planning a rebellion and then gossip spreads. It's specifically designed to promote gossip. You see, it is reported amongst the nations. In our culture today, this would be equivalent to, well, they all believe, they all said, we should do this. Everyone said that we should do this or that. And I always ask, who's they? <laughs> who's everyone? Because oftentimes everyone is one person, and maybe their wife. Don't panic over the they saids in your life. Ask who said. This open letter, it lacked its, its official seal. It was specifically designed to promote gossip. And Nehemiah prayed, right? This, this letter was specifically designed to promote gossip and to weaken the efforts of Nehemiah. Nehemiah could have been scared. I think he probably was. I mean, I would have been. What do you do when somebody starts, you know, gives you this false accusation and they try to promote gossip that's going to get back to the king to say, King, you see here what Nehemiah is doing? He's actually trying to become king now. And king, didn't you, didn't you send him down there to rebuild this wall, but now he's going to rebel against you? Doesn't that sound, you, you can't do that. You see, in Persian law, you could not do that. You couldn't rebel against the king like that. Nehemiah wasn't. He was being obedient. But you see, it's in times like this that Nehemiah could have just laid it all down and stopped the work. But he didn't. You see, he didn't because he was doing something that he was called to do by God. He didn't try to leave. He didn't try to stop. He didn't try to get out of his circumstances. He prayed, God, strengthen my hands. Point number four is obedience is greater than deliverance and silence. Obedience is greater than deliverance and silence. Nehemiah had a great work to accomplish, and he didn't pray for deliverance from his circumstances, but for the strength to continue the work, for the strength to be resilient and complete the great work that God had called him to do. Perhaps you today need to pray that prayer. You need to say, God, I pray that you would strengthen my hands in my circumstances. God, I pray that you would help me to be resilient to complete this good work that you've called me to do. 
You see, that's an important prayer because oftentimes our prayers go like this, God, just take me out of this situation, take me out of my circumstances, take me out of this pain, get me out of here. But where God has sent you doesn't mean that there's not going to be pain, there's not going to be suffering, there's not going to be trials, there's not going to be temptations. Christians, I think we, especially today, need to be praying not so much for deliverance, but that we would be obedient where God has placed us. That we would be obedient to Him who put us there. That we would pray for strength when we feel weak. And now let me tell you, God is so faithful to strengthen you in your, in your hard times. God is so faithful to strengthen you in your circumstances. Who did he meet in the fire? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up before the golden idol, they would not bow down and compromise their faith. Right? They would not compromise their faith to bow down to an idol and live. They decided that death was, more, was a better route than to compromise their faith, to dishonor God, to stop the great work that God was doing. And what happened? They get thrown in the fiery furnace. But then what does the king see in this fiery furnace? Not three men, but four. And the fourth was like the Son of God. See, in your trials today, Jesus is faithful to meet you in the fire. And let me tell you, he's faithful to strengthen you through them too. The Apostle Paul, you talk about following Christ, it does not mean health, wealth, and prosperity. The Apostle Paul had everything opposite of that. He had basically nothing to his name. He had, um, he, he, he had a reputation that was just awful. I mean, you'd show up to a town and he'd caused riots and would get beat up and thrown out of the town or the city. He'd have to sneak out of town just to survive sometimes because he was faithfully teaching the Word of God. Be faithful to God. Be obedient to what God has called you to do. Be obedient to complete the great work that God has called you to do. We can't control what others say, but we do have control over ourselves. Nehemiah didn't have control over the circumstances around him but he had control over his response, his reaction. And he responded with truth and he responded with prayer. I encourage you to respond with truth and prayer. You see, responding with truth and responding with prayer is what I would call discernment. And sometimes our duty to speak and to pray for strength is greater than deliverance. Nehemiah did speak out with the truth that these men were making it all up, right? He wasn't silent. He didn't, you know, hole up and, and hide. He spoke out with truth. He said, these accusations are false. But he did not stop the great work that he was doing. You see, then the next one is even, even worse. The next scheme of the devil was the scheme of deception. And we'll close with the scheme of deception. He said, I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son, uh, or the son of... Um, Mehetabel, who was restricted to his house, who said, this guy, remember, this house of Shammai, this man is supposed to be a prophet. He said, let's meet at the house of God. Let's go inside the temple. Let's close the doors. Let's hide in there because these men are coming to kill you tonight, Nehemiah. Let's go into the temple and hide. You see, but Nehemiah said, should a man like me run away? How can somebody like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized, remember, I realized right there is code for discerned I discerned that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired so that I would be intimidated to do as he suggested, which would be to sin, to get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. 
Nehemiah said, I will not go. How did Nehemiah get to that point? How did he have that discernment? Well, he knew the word of God. And he responded with truth and he responded with prayer. Lord, strengthen my hands. How do we get discernment? We need to know the word of God, the word of truth. You see, I realized is code for discernment. Discernment, as the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon says, is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. This should be up on your screens. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. <laughs> that, that's pretty deep. Discernment isn't knowing the difference between right and wrong. I think we all know the difference between right and wrong. It doesn't take much discernment to know a white lie from the truth. But knowing what's right from what's almost right. The devil loves to take scriptures and then to twist them up just a little bit, just enough to say, did God really say this, that this would happen? Did God really say this, that this would really happen? You see, when Jesus responded to temptation for 40 days in the wilderness, he three times responded the same way with the scriptures. It is written. We need to know the word of God to have discernment. Discernment is a divine knowing that is on the inside that's inspired by the Holy Spirit within us as Christians. We know that. And as we grow in our knowledge of God and his word, we grow in discernment. As we grow in prayer, we grow in discernment. The best lies are not white lies. They're lies that are half-truths. And Satan is a profession, professional at this kind of lying. And Nehemiah prayed, Lord, remember those deceivers. You see, Oswald Chambers said this. He said, God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize, but that we may intercede. Now, Christian, I want you to think about that right now. Oftentimes, you might mix up discernment with criti criticism, like being critical. God gives us discernment so that we might, in turn, intercede. So, we can then say that having discernment is the ability to see things as they really are, not what you want them to be. Right? Discernment is the ability to see things as they really are, not as you want them to be. Discernment, then, is grounded in reality. Right? We don't necessarily live in a world that loves reality right now. Oswald Chambers again said this. He said, God does not exist to answer our prayers, but that, our prayer, uh, that by our prayers we might come to discern the mind of God. You see, if discernment is to promote intercession, right, we can discern something so then we can pray. We can discern something so we can pray. And as we pray, we begin to know, discern the mind and the will and the heart of God. So let me tell you, though, with discernment, when you start to receive discernment as a believer, it comes with division. It divides the believer from the unbeliever. It may even divide the discerning believer from the undiscerning believer. Division will, uh, I mean, discernment will even divide the mature and the immature. Nehemiah was able to do a great work to organize a group of ordinary people to do an extraordinary work, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And he did it in an extraordinarily short time period, 52 days, as we'll learn next week. Because he was focused and he had clear priorities, he was able to accomplish this great work. So as we close, cross-connection. You are involved in a great work. The great work is this, that you are building the thing that Jesus left behind, that being the church. The church is worthy of your time, it's worthy of your giving, it's worthy of your service, and worthy of your sacrifice even. When the schemes of the devil come against you, remember that you are involved in a great work. And may you respond like Nehemiah. I will not come down. I'm doing a great work. 
Now, today, though, I want to also address those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, those who maybe you're still on the cusp of, do I really believe this whole Jesus thing? Do I, do I really believe in that? Uh, maybe you've left the church for a while, or you backslidden. Maybe um, this is, again, your very first time even watching a church service online. And maybe you're just dipping your toes in the water to see, maybe is, is Cross Connection Church a good church that I can explore and, and call my home church? You've made it this far into the broadcast, so I want to turn your attention to another man who refused to come down. And that man is Jesus Christ. Hanging on the cross, he had these demonically inspired men looking up at him and saying, if you really are God, come down from that cross. Save yourself. And Jesus, though, was sent by God to do God's will, right? And we know by John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus refused to come down because he was doing a great work. He refused to come down because he was doing a great work for you and for me. To save the world from their sins, to reconcile us to God. Perhaps you today, you are in the Valley of Ono. That you've been tempted and enticed and you went with those enticements. You went with those temptations and you're looking back and you're saying, oh no, what am I going to do? You need a second chance. And God is offering you one today. Come to Jesus and find life everlasting. Come to Jesus and find that there is no sin too great that God won't forgive. He will meet you where you are today, right in the Valley of Ono, but he won't leave you there. He offers you a new life. He offers you a life where you are reborn. And as you're reborn as a son or daughter of God, you then inherit eternal life that Christ gives us. And then you begin this lifelong process of God transforming your character to match your calling as you receive the Holy Spirit into your heart. I ask you to come to Jesus today and find life. Don't delay the call of God. Don't delay responding to him. Don't delay asking him the questions that you've had for so long. Don't delay bringing your problems to him. Don't delay coming to him as you are. Come to Jesus and begin the great work in you. Come to Jesus and he will begin that great work. God is so good. He's so faithful that even when we do mess up, he gives us those second chances. And Jesus paid that price Paid the price of your second chance on the cross, that today you can find life in his name. Let's pray. Father, as we close this morning, as we close our, our service, Father, I, I pray that you would give us clear focus and clear priorities. Father, that you would give us, um, Lord, the entire armor of, of God, the entire spiritual armor that we need to withstand the schemes of the devil. Because, Father, a clear mind, clear focus, all of those things are great, and they do shield us from the devil's schemes, but they aren't perfect. Lord, we still end up tripping. We still end up falling. And I pray this morning that for those that have fallen, that you would pick them back up. Father, for those that have been tempted over and over and over again, I pray that you would give them the resilience to respond the same way over and over and over again with the same answer and truth and your truth and your word that it is written. Father, may we not play or toy with temptation, but may we take it seriously and be freed from it. May we not fall into temptation, but help us to resist the evil one. That your name might be glorified and that many might come to know you 
and the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, you're doing a great work in your church. You're doing a great work in our nation and in the world. Lord, I know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And Lord, I pray for the spiritual revival in our country, in our people, that Nehemiah sought in rebuilding the walls and restoring, restoring the people back to you, back to worship. Father, may we be a nation that turns back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>